Hey, it's Agrita Dandrao and you're listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast, which calls for revolutionary healing of self and community that can allow us to outgrow cultures of scarcity and hyper-individualism so that we can move to more caring and regenerative ways of living and working in community. Today we're joined by Jimena Garcia. The longer you stay in the dieta, the more you get from the medicine. So, you know, when you really show the plan, the level of sacrifice, they will give you everything they have. When you diet with a plan and you finish your dieta and you close your dieta and then the plan accepts you and you accept the plan, now that plan becomes your ally, spiritually speaking. So the next time that you go into the fields and you do ayahuasca and you find yourself in trouble, you can call in that plant and that plant can maybe save you. Jimena is a center director of Peru's Rainforest Healing Center, soon to be named Shaman Flora. She has lived around the world and experienced life in many different cultures, which ultimately led her into the world of Cambo, Ayahuasca, and other animal and plant forest medicines. Through practicing rainforest medicine and sharing plant wisdom with her clients, Jimena follows a path of service and healing for her loved ones, herself, and now the world. Hello, Jimena. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. There's so much to talk about today. I'm super, super excited. But before we begin, I would love to just do a breathing exercise with you and also the listeners, if that's okay with you. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. So if this is the only thing you're doing right now, listening to the podcast, I'm going to gently close our eyes. Really allow yourself to get on the body level, which oftentimes in our day-to-day lives we're unable to do. So notice the chair or the floor beneath you, really feel grounded in this moment to just slow down and really just notice areas in your body that are feeling a particular emotion, which is a bit more intense than others. It could be a build-up from the past week or few weeks or even just the past few hours. Really allow yourself to focus in on those feelings. It could be excitement, It could be pain, guilt, a deep sense of longing. And notice how your body has been responding to that emotion. So do you feel uneasiness in your stomach? or restlessness in your heart? 
Maybe your mind feels fatigued. Your shoulders feeling perhaps heavy or locked into an uncomfortable position. Just allow yourself that time to notice how the body is coming to a resting point in this moment. Allow yourself to roll back your shoulders, taking deep breaths within. And place one of your hands on your heart or your stomach to really just allow yourself to focus on how you yourself are feeling. And that whatever you're feeling is valid. And we're going to take five deep breaths together. But please feel free to pause this recording and take more deep breaths if needed. Take a deep breath. In and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Deep breath in and a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. In your own time, gently open your eyes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking part in that. Yeah, that was wonderful. I appreciate that. Yeah, so Himana, just to begin the conversation, we would really just love to hear about your calling into the space of plant medicine and psychedelics and also your journey into owning the Rainforest Healing Center. It would be great if we could begin the conversation in that way. Yeah, thank you. Um my journey began uh, five years ago on this earth. I mean, before that, I can't recall. 
but it, it was all a combination of events that led me to where I am today. So five years ago, I went through a huge uh, shift in my life where my relationship of five years ended and my I changed jobs and I changed homes and I found myself in a place of discomfort. And in the past, a lot of people don't know this, I suffer of depression and anxiety and, and I used to do not very good things to my body when I found my place in those areas. So I lean into meditation, uh, a stillness to see how I can calm the mind so I wouldn't let those shadows consume me. And in that process, a year later, my dad passed away. And that just completely took me to a whole nother spiral that I wasn't even aware of. And in that process, uh, I realized that I needed help. Um, I don't know if your listeners can relate, but I used to be a lone wolf and tried to do everything by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he helped me a lot and he taught me a lot, but I'm also learning that if you want to go far, you go with a team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in that process, I seek for help from therapists and different sources. And I found what we call transformational teachings. So I started educating myself in transformation, understanding how my language, uh, how my body and how my focus actually creates my reality and understanding that the traumas or the things that happened in the past with my parents, my friends, the people that I knew as a child were just part of the process. Yeah. In that journey, I found psychedelics. I found uh, the first psychedelic that I found in a ceremonial context was psilocybin. And a friend of mine introduced it to me in a ceremonial context because people do it just for fun. But when you work with any psychoactive or any medicine in a ceremonial context, it creates it creates a completely different result. Yeah. And I did it the first time and my mind was blown. I was so impressed by the results, uh, but the experience, the discoveries, um, the way I was able to go into the quantum field and rewrite my beliefs, my structures, and then come out and believe something different. And um, I'm a junkie for growth and transformation, and I'm always seeking for the next level. And in that process, I start working so closely with psilocybin. Every week or so, I will go into the field, I will work with the medicine, I will come out and I will transform so rapidly. And during that time, I was doing a PhD in Master and Transformation. And in my PhD, one of the things that I needed to tap into was my vision, understanding what exactly do I wanted to create in the world to contribute to the collective. And it was a whole process. And I didn't know exactly what it was. I didn't know exactly where I was going. And in one trip, I asked the medicine to show me. That was my intention. I was like, can you please guide me, show me, support me, give me a sign or something for me to understand what's my next step. 
And in that process, I end up doing a massive energetic healing on my partner. It was three hours. I was transmuting energy. I was fighting forces. It was it was wild. Wow. Um, yeah. And at that time, I had no idea, right? Like it wasn't like someone told me how to do it or anything. It was completely intuitive. I don't know if you heard how they say that we're not learning, we're remembering. Yeah. And I purely believe that, that everything that we learn in this lifetime is just that we're remembering something that we already knew. Or sometimes we do things that we're just like, oh, no one taught me how to do that. It's like, well, someone taught you in another lifetime. Yeah. But it's within your blueprint. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the ceremony, uh, one of the things that I'm very fond of is integration. And at the end of every plant medicine ceremony or any ceremony that I do, the next day I sit down, I journal, I instigate, I try to deconstruct the archetypes or the messages. And in that process, I was sitting and I was communicating with the spirit of, of the psilocybin. And I asked and I said, okay, I asked you to show me like, what is what was the message? And it was very clear. It said you executed it. And then I was like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> right. It wasn't like a messages on the freaking cloud or like on the floor with mm. no, it was, it was I executed it. I lived it that night. So after that, I decided to proceed the path of healing and become a healer. I thought I wanted to be a shaman. But back then, like I told you when we met, I was a spirit, I was in a spiritual baby, yeah. right? <laughs> when we're spiritual babies, we don't understand many concepts. And I didn't understand the the word and the power behind behind that, what it takes to become that leader. But I still I follow. And then during that summer, I did a meditation. Um, and in this meditation, I was asking to be guided. And to see with this vision, how will that look like? And then I was transported into a jungle and I was inside a building uh, that it was round. They called them malocas. That, that's where ayahuasca ceremonies are held. At that time, I had no idea. And I was in the I was in the space. There were yoga mats all around me. There were buckets. I could see the jungle outside. There were candlelight. And then I came back and I called my best friend and I said, hey, Gabby, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a center. And then in this space, people will come and I educate him and, you know, all the shebangs. And she's like, cool. Two weeks later, she sent me a link to the Rainforest Healing Center. And she said, hey, I found this place. You said you wanted to do ayahuasca because during that time I didn't have ayahuasca yet and everybody suggested it. And the price was quite reasonable compared to where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Rhythmia. Have you heard of it? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, Rhythmia is like this really, really famous ayahuasca place in Costa Rica that people go and to my budget is quite expensive. It's like $6,000 for 10 days. Wow. And the Rainforest Healing Center was like 1700 or something like that. I mean, the difference was massive. Yeah. So for my budgeting, I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. And I read and I saw what they believe on. And I was like, perfect. But it was during COVID. So when I reached out to them, the center was closed because of COVID. I had the opportunity to work with Cambo. Uh, that for your listeners that don't know what Cambo is, is 
the uh, secretion of a frog that lives between the border of Peru and Brazil and is called scientifically the Philomedusa bicolor and is to purge and to cut cords and to um, cleanse yourself. And I work with that medicine. I fell in love with it. And they were doing trainings uh, for you to become a practitioner. And at that moment, I thought, okay, well, if I want to work with medicines, why not add another one to my tool belt? So I did my training. Uh, It was fantastic. Best thing I ever did. Heart as crazy. And I got to heal my eating disorder from that experience. Wow. So I devoted my life to the frog. I told the frog that I will serve it. I will work with it. And in the process of the training, the teacher that it was the center director, he fell in love with my work ethic. So he extended an invitation for me to work as the online admin for the Rainforest Healing Center to help him run retreats and trainings and all the things. So I'd say yes. Because I believe that if you're going to start a business, you need to know how to do the job of every single employee. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to learn how to be an admin of a center. Let me learn. So I I joined. I started working. It was really fun. I learned a lot. I was there for three months. We got a lot of people that wanted to go down to the jungle to do ayahuasca. And in that, I reached out to Omar that is the person that I work with at that time. And I suggested him to reopen the center. And he said, Jimena, I'm I'm ready to retire. I I gave everything to this and and I'm I'm, I'm getting to a place in my life where I want to let go of this part of me and then embark into something else. I'm selling the center. And my intuition instantly was like, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) And I was like, oh, And I've heard, you don't need to build a new one. You can use this one. Yeah. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. So because of my financial background and the universe does everything in a magical way, I was gifted with finances to be able to afford this journey. So I told him, hey, I'm interested. And he's like, perfect. So in that sense, I said, let's go down to the jungle. Um, so I can meet the land. I can ask permission from the spirits of your land and then see if there's something that fits the land and me. Because if that's if the land doesn't accept me, I'm not going to embark on this journey. Absolutely. So I go down there. I experience Iquitos that if any of you have been there, it's a rough place. Um, it, sh- it teaches you a lot in, of, of being humble and understanding how lucky we are. And then I go into the jungle. The place is, oh my God, it's one of the most magical places I ever been. Like, to be honest with you, at the beginning, I really didn't want to do it because I thought that I didn't have what it takes to maintain the beauty of this place. Mm-hmm. Where exactly is the rainforest heating sensor is uh, in Iquitos, Peru. Okay, yeah, um, and it's two hours from the city. Oh, okay, so it's in the middle of the jungle. 
Wow. So everything that it was brought into the space what was brought in somebody else's back mm. because there is no road together. You have to walk into it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And like the details of the rooms, the craft of the kitchen, like everything is, is top notch. Mm. It's, you know what I yeah, mean? So I to, to have that quality of buildings in a space like that. For 11 years, I was like, oh, my God, maybe I'm completely over my head. But on day 20, I did an ayahuasca ceremony. And in that ayahuasca ceremony, I made a commitment to the land to protect it, to take care of it. So it was a moment where I felt the land said, yes, you are welcome. We want you. We support you. And we want to help you in this process. And I said the same thing. So I kind of like did like my, you know, my bows to the land. And then from that moment, I decided to say yes to it. And that's the story. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. You talk about ceremony and I think ceremony in itself is just a way to celebrate our connections to each other, right? Mm -hmm. So what sort of ceremonies do you engage with because you said that you also do cambo which isn't plant medicine but it is from frogs um, yeah so what other types of ceremonies you engage in and how does that help you to really center reciprocity and respect in the relationships that you have to the land and to the more than human family but also let's say indigenous groups and local communities who've had that knowledge of the land and of the beings there for centuries, really? Ooh, okay. So I I have different ceremonies. So when it comes to the jungle itself, in the jungle, we do ayahuasca, of course. That's one of the biggest ceremonies that we do. Yeah. Uh, and there is a whole process to it. I mean, it takes about, I will say, like 30 minutes to actually get to drink the cup. And there is a whole setup that we do. Um, the way we called uh, our clients to the to the maloka is we use like a like a seashell um, that basically we blow and then it makes this loud noise across the jungle so people know that it's mm. time to start ceremony. Yeah, and before they go into the ceremony, we mapacho them and then we position them in a very strategic place around the maloka based on their intentions, based on their experience. Uh, and then once they're there, we give them like a breakdown of how the ceremony is going to go. So kind of they have an understanding of what to expect. And that's kind of like the most intense ceremony in terms of like how long it takes. Because ayahuasca usually can take between five to eight hours. Or when I tell people whatever long the medicine needs you <laughs> to be in ceremony. Wow. Because <laughs> sometimes that's the case, you know, like the the maestra closest ceremony and then all of a sudden the medicine decides oh it's time to start and you're like what <laughs> so that's that um cambo uh that is by far my favorite um and cambo is not a shamanic practice by any means it is a practice that it was given to us by the matses matses are another indigenous tribe so ayahuasca that we work with is shapivo and Shapivo from Peru, because there is other tribes around the world that also work with ayahuasca. But they 
run ceremonies very differently than Shapibo, uh, with Cambodian matzes, and their ceremony, it th- there is different ways of their ceremony in the terms that if you're in the middle of the jungle, they'll give it to you, and then they just watch you, and that's that. If you go through how the elders used to do it on the Peruvian side, there is a whole process where there is an altar dedicated to the frog, where we sit you in front of us and we totally like walk you through the process for you to understand what you're going to be expecting. We also explain to you what are going to be the physical reactions that you will engage. So that way you're not in shock when you feel that your heart is going 150 and you feel like you're sick mm-hmm. and you turn pale and then your throat kind of shokes a little bit and your ears like get completely swollen and your hands clamp. So for that ceremony is a little bit, it usually takes me about three hours to go through a ceremony with a person from beginning to end. Um, the first thing that I do in any ceremony is about a 30 to 45 minutes intention setting Mm -hmm. where I really sit with my client and I dig to find out why they want to do what they want to do. Because I believe that your intention is what grounds you through the process. And then I also work with psilocybin. Um, That's another medicine that I love so much. And very similar to Cambo and Ayahuasca, is kind of the same setup. I have an altar for that particular medicine. I explain my client what to expect. And then for that ceremony, I usually also um, do it indoors. At the beginning of my practice, I was doing it outdoors. And as I started working with these medicines, I realized that when you are outdoors, it's much harder to contain the energy of the outside. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Because there is no container. So it's like so much hotter. So I decided to start moving my ceremonies indoors where I can actually have like an actual box to contain the energy. And then for those, I usually do sound healing or I do energy work or some Reiki. So those are kind of like medicine wise in terms of like ceremonies. Then I have like a bass of things that I do. I also work with the moon. So I have like my ceremonies for the moon and uh, sometimes I have like ceremonies for like the beginning of the year when I want to like set like foundations. So, you know, I think that you say ceremonies is something to like celebrate. I also take ceremonies as like my rituals. Yes. Yeah. That absolutely. I execute to like ground me into an experience or into a goal or into an intention. I don't know if that answered your question. Yes, yes, that does. It's peaceful. Just imagining that and the sort of energies that are just shared and transformed. And yeah, that just sounds so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, thank you for asking. Yeah. And um, you say that you work with master plants. We would love to know a bit more about what master plants really Ooh. are and what sort of things we can learn from plant teachers you know seeing plants as the teachers and us as students rather yeah. than them as subjects that we are sort of experimenting with or trying to get to know a bit more 
So yeah, we'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Oh my God, master plans. I think that that's the next big thing that is coming mm. our way. Uh, I think that just now people are starting to understand power of master plans. And to be honest with you, Agrita, um, master plans are, I will say, way more powerful than ayahuasca ceremonies by far. Wow. So there are multiple different master plans. There is Bobinsana, Chirisanango, Ahosacha, Remocaspi, Uchusanango, and they all have different, and that's just like one chunk of a vast list of them. And the first, the reason why people used to do master plans is to become actually shamans, maestros. Why is that? Because when you diet a plant, that the way you diet a plan is you completely isolate yourself with the plan. Actually, back in the days, the shamans would literally sleep next to the plant. Like, here's a plant, they will sleep next to it to create that connection, right? So the ceremony of a master plan is you first go down to the jungle and you talk to the maestro, aka shaman, as we know in the Western world, and we say, I want to diet. Some people come with the idea of a master plan that they want to diet. My invitation to people in that particular sense is don't be attached. Because the process actually is that you sit with ayahuasca. Mm. The shaman knows that you want to sit with a master plan. They tap into the fields and they ask to all the master plans, which one is the master plan that wants to work with that person? Wow. Yeah. And they say the easiest to penetrate. That's what they say. Mm. And then after you're done with that ayahuasca ceremony, you go into isolation. And that's when the maestra tells you, this is the plan that you're going to be working with. So then the maestra prepares the, the brew. They make like a brew and they can use the roots. They can use the flower. They can use the leaves. I mean, they can use the different parts of the plant. Usually the one that they use the most is the roots because the roots is the one that goes the deepest. Because if you think about it, it's mm -hmm. the roots. So the roots is where they get all the information from. They're deeply connected to the earth. Yeah, And then you drink the brew a minimum of three times, depending of how long you're in isolation. I mean, there are so many different variables, uh, but the ones that the variables that are constant is you are you need to isolate yourself uh, at least uh, a minimum of ten days, completely by yourself. You eat in the Shapibo tradition. You eat boiled rice, boiled plantain, and boiled eggs uh, for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. You have no access to anything. You don't have access to your phone. You don't have access to a watch. You don't have access to books, to colors. You all have is a journal, a pen, and your clothes. You could brush your teeth. You can take showers, but you don't have access to soaps or toothpaste or anything at all. So you're completely, like, utterly, you know, only consuming the plant and the food that is being given to you. And they work in your dreams. So that's how they work. Um, so when I yeah. did my master plan, like uh, my sleep was like, I was half awake and half asleep every night. I wasn't fully asleep. 
And what they do is they come into your dreams, they teach you, then you wake up and then you process and you work with it. Every plan works differently. For example, the diet that I did was bovinsana. Bovinsana is by far, a lot of people say is one of the easiest plants to diet. Um, she is the plant of love and self-love. So it teaches you the meaning of love. Then you have um, Uchusanango. They call it the surgeon. Basically, they say that when you diet with him, sometimes you have dreams that he's actually opening up your body and like healing your nervous system and doing like like deep, deep, deep healing work in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have Chirisanango. The Chirisanango, it like helps to like organize your sibna, your sibnas. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Thanks, Sina. Yeah. Um, so it's like, and apparently is one of the toughest plants to diet. You get a lot of fever. So you get like fever the first three days and you're in the middle of the jungle and you're sweating and you're cold and you have fever. So, you know, every single plant is designated to work in different aspects of you. There is the physical healing aspect and then there is the emotional healing aspect. And at the end of the day, the shaman will be the person that could tell you which one is the best one for you to work with, depending on your intention, depending on what you want to heal in your body. And then the most important part of the dieta with masters is the post dieta. And that's the thing that I tell people to be super mindful when they do these medicines. Because after you finish a master plan, you need to do a post dieta of 30 days. And if you break it, the consequences are life-threatening. So it's one of those things that I tell people, this is not a joke. This is real. Yeah. And this, if you break it during those 30 days, what ended up happening is two. One, you will develop white patches all over your body and they will start covering you. Or the second one is you will lose your mind. In the sense that you won't be able to focus, you will feel depressed, you will definitely go into like a psychosis and you won't be able to do absolutely anything. Two years ago, when I got out of my diet, I had a guy from Germany, I think, he reached out, he did a diet with Ahusacha and he actually left the complex, went to Pucallpa, had some ceviche, that ceviche is spicy. So he broke his dieta. He went like he he went like he had a crazy psychosis. He couldn't do anything. He felt like he was losing his mind. And I told him, all you need to do is you need to go back. You need to do the dieta again. And then you need to do it for twice the amount. So instead of staying in isolation for 10 days, you stay in isolation for 20 days. And then instead of doing the post dieta for 30 days, you do the post dieta for 60 days. The only way to fix a broken dieta. So that's a little bit about master plans. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Wow. So I think most people don't realize the sort of commitment that you need, right? When you do a master plan diet, that's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I even we even at the rainforest we have a contract that you need to sign establishing that if anything happens to you after the dieta, we're not liable. (laughs) 
Yeah. Because it's, it's completely on you. So, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just hearing about that, I think is it just demonstrates to us how important it is to listen to the plants, right? And that if you are getting into that relationship and you ha- just have to be committed, you cannot have an extractive relationship with a master plant, especially, you know, where you can just pick and choose certain things of that plant and use that for your advantage and that's it. The fact that you need to commit to that process, yeah, so powerful yeah and and plants are jealous like this is where people <laughs> don't realize they are jealous i mean i'm not a botanic person in any shape or form and and to be honest with you in the last few years i've been developing my relationship with plants um because my mom used to love plants when i was a little girl and she would like walk around the house and she would like clean them and talk to them and i looked at her and be like wow. what are you doing Um, and now look at me um so I get it and and they're not only jealous they're very they could be very timid it takes them it takes them a minute for them to like actually trust you and believe that you are that level of committed and they test you yeah like that's the other part they test you when I came back from Peru from my Bobinsana uh master plan like I came back and and I was doing my post dieta and I was very good. And one night I went to bed and I woke up and I had a dream where I felt like someone was penetrating me. And my libido starts kind of like rising. And in that moment, I woke up terrified. And I was like, no, no, no. And I was like, because one of the things on the dieta is you can elevate your libido. So you can't have sex. You can't masturbate for 30 days. Okay. Yeah. And so if you have a partner, like you have to be really, really mindful of like when they kiss you, like when they touch you, because during those 30 days, it's like you're a nun. You're like 100% <laughs> committed to that medicine in every single way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And what happened then the next day, I called my teacher terrified because I was worried because, you know, we, we don't know that much. And then he said, Jimena, the plan is testing you, is really seeing if you are that committed. And another thing that happened was you can also, you can't have vinegar on the posieta. You can't have any sort of vinegar. Mm-hmm. So I, I made myself a breakfast with like bread and, and eggs and, you know, just avocado, no salt, no pepper, super healthy. When all of a sudden someone, something tells me check the ingredients of your bread and I'm like "Mm." so I go into the ingredients of my bread and then one of the ingredients was apple cider Mm, yeah and I'm like an apple cider is vinegar Mm -hmm. so I sent a message to my teachers like hey this happened like the bread has apple cider can I have it and I'm like waiting literally my breakfast (laughs) and I'm starving and I'm like debating with my ego if I should have the bread or not. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I was like, you know, I'm not going to have the bread. I'm not going to risk it just to have a piece of bread. It's not worth that. So I take the bread out. I eat my food. I put it on the on the, on the microwave just in case. A few hours later, my teacher calls me. He's like, yeah, you can't have the bread. I was like, <laughs> like, wow okay. uh, or you can't have cold drinks so um, um i love smoothies like it's 
Yeah. Morning smoothies are my thing. So during 30 days, I couldn't have any smoothies. So, you know, it's one of those things that it really is a commitment. I tell people sometimes you're better off staying in the jungle for 30 days, to be honest with you. (laughs) You can't eat out, know what the food is made with. So it's 30 days that you really have to exercise your consciousness of what you're consuming with food, media, with your relationships to stay into that level of purity. And this is the crazy part that people also don't know. The longer you stay in the post-dieta, the the more the plan will give you. Mm. So one of the people, there is this woman that she goes to the jungle a lot. Her name is Rebecca Shaman. And she did a chili sanango dieta. She's done it twice. And my teacher told me her story. And she he, he shares the story over and over again. And she did it after six months, they spoke. And he asked her, hey, so how was your post dieta? And she told Omar, I'm still in it. And he said, but you, but it's been six months. Wow. And then she said, you don't understand. The longer you stay in the dieta, the more you get from the medicine. Mm. So, you know, when you really show the plan, the level of sacrifice, they will give you everything they have. Absolutely. No, right. They know. And there was one more thing that I wanted to say about it. Allies. That's the word. Allies. And the reason why I said initially that people did it to become maestros is because when you're a maestro and you work with ayahuasca, you go into the fields and you navigate different dimensions, different levels of consciousness that people have. And when you diet with a plant and you finish your dieta and you close your dieta and then the plant accepts you and you accept the plant, now that plant becomes your ally, spiritually speaking. So the next time that you go into the fields and you do ayahuasca, and you find yourself in trouble, you can call in that plant and that plant can come in and save you. So that's why it takes so long to become a maestro because you need to diet at least 10 plants. So then when you go into the fields, then these plants are there to rescue you or to help you or to support you. So for example, when I became a Campbell practitioner, I started as the initiation training. And then I went to the jungle and I did my advanced camp of training and I did my master plan and I worked with ayahuasca. And when I came back from the jungle and I served Cambo, my practice completely shifted. It was so much powerful. It was way more grounded and I could feel the spirits of the plants that I diet and that I work with supporting me in the ceremony. So that's the other aspect of it is you gain incredible allies. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that goes for any relationships that we are working to build or to maintain or to sustain, right? Mm -hmm. You have to put in the effort and the effort is from both sides. Um, And a lot of the time we don't understand how those sorts of relationships can be formed with non-humans especially plants which are seen as voiceless, rightless, mm, yeah. beings who do, do not have that sentience and that understanding, um, that emotional sort of sensibility and intelligence that, you know, mammals perhaps have. So I think 
that sort of relationship that you can get with the plant at the body level especially is just so powerful and helping us understand that you can have those deep deep rooted connections with the more than human world and i think just engaging with that is just so so important and so powerful and this is a great way to actually feeling it in your body it's, it's lovely it's lovely to hear yeah, about yeah absolutely the answers that we're really really seeking they exist in the silence of our mind and in the quiet of our hearts and i think that this is what these plants teach us they teach us to to connect to a deeper part of ourselves and i tell people in this era of psychedelics and and psychics and magic that is becoming way more market that has ever been in any lifetime if we really think about it from a spiritual perspective is to me is true that we have the ability to communicate without words and i believe that every single human on this planet has experienced that one way or another we always say oh my god it's like you read my mind yes you did read my mind <laughs> this possible when you are connected to your heart and you tap into somebody else's frequency and it's the same thing with plants right if you think about it i tell people when you dream notice if you're actually speaking or you're talking to your mind through your mind right like are there words actually coming out of your mouth or you have actually a mind to mind communication And we're so inautomatic that we think that it actually came out, out of our mouth. And 99% mm. in dreams, we don't speak, right? Yeah. We, we, we use our mind. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how the plants communicate. And if we can actually tap into that, it's like we can tap into other things in life. And I think that that's, that's a gift. Yes, absolutely. Just linking back to, you know, the concerns around a lot of our as humans, our relationships to the more than human world being extractive. I feel that traditional knowledge is often, or indigenous knowledges are often co-opted by pharmaceuticals um, and Western medicine, right? To profit off of the sort of reciprocity and the systems of care that are put in place by indigenous communities and people like you who are working with the plants respectfully. And you're seeing that rise in plant medicine demand, right? But that is now putting pressure onto a system which is which is full of love and respect. It's all about caring and preserving and sustaining rather than profiting. So how do you go about in challenging this capitalist demand of extracting from nature? Um, because a lot more people will be, especially listeners, right? They'll be super excited to know more about this. And then the demand naturally goes up um, for people who are new to the to the uh, field and don't understand that this is not just about benefits to humans. It is way more than that. And we already have gotten to see how it's way, way deeper than that. So how do you go about challenging that? Wow. I, I love that question. And thank you so much for bringing that in. The thing that comes to mind is two. One is education. Mm. I think that is really important that um, beings like you, like me, uh, those that I call them uh, pioneers or ambassadors of this medicines to start educating people around the importance of sustainability. 
and the importance of maintaining the sacredness of these medicines, right? For example, yeah. Campbell, right? We're talking about Campbell is a frog. I mean, how many frogs can we have? You know what I mean? It's not <laughs> yeah. like we can go and plant a tree of frogs and then bunch of them and give them, uh, you know, um, GMOs and like grow them faster. Um, And in Brazil, one of the things that people are doing is they're extracting the medicine of the frog and they're mixing it with egg egg whites to actually make it like be more so they can sell more. Yeah. You know, educating people in these matters and, and telling people to please get medicine from places that are sustainable from places that mm. like do your research of where are you buying your medicine just not go on etsy and get medicine from whatever like really educate yourself on that information because they don't realize that by just getting medicine from whatever they are funding a place that they actually don't know if they're actually caring for the medicine same thing with ayahuasca in this particular context Uh, What we do is we replant the medicine. So when we have people come into the center um, and if we use the medicine of the grounds, because ayahuasca and chikruna grows on our fields, at the end of the retreat, we all go into the jungle. We take vines of ayahuasca and we replant them so they can actually grow. Uh, So I think that that's the next thing that I tell people is, Make sure that if you are going to do ayahuasca, not where it's from, that at the end of the day, that will be my suggestion to every single human being on the planet. If you don't have the means to go to source to do the medicine and you really want to do it, save up and give yourself the gift to do it there. Absolutely. That's the best thing that you could do for yourself. Um, And if for any reason is just not possible. You don't have the visa. You don't have the papers. I don't know. I, it's hard for me to believe that the medicine wouldn't open the doors for you to do it. However, if you want to do it where you live, then whoever you're going to be doing it with, instigate, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Where is the medicine from? How do you know what you know? Because it's something that I said in my podcast and I was listening to the recording the other day. And he touched my soul. And I was like, preach, he meant it, preach. And I said, <laughs> if you're going to give your soul to another human to help you heal, wouldn't you want to know that the person has the capabilities and the abilities to do it in a safe manner? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't you make sure that the doctor that is going to give you an open heart surgery <laughs> knows exactly what he's doing? Exactly. <laughs> Don't you want to yeah. know the anesthesiology? The person that is going to put you to sleep knows exactly how much anesthesia give you so you don't wake up in the middle of your surgery. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. don't go to that depth of mm-hmm. understanding that when you work with these medicines, you're literally giving your soul, your heart, your essence to that shaman, to that person, to take your soul to a stroll into another dimension that you have no idea what's going to happen in that space. And if that person doesn't know how to do it, you may come back with more dust that you left. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that those are how, how I come back. Those challenges is one is my podcast. 
um, that it will be coming out pretty soon. Uh, traditional medicine. Super excited. I know, me too. Traditional medicine <laughs> with Shaman Flora. And I would love to put this episode there for people to also yes, hear absolutely. and learn. Because uh, I think that that's what is missing right now is education. Mm. It's like everything. I mean, if you think about the era of computers uh, and technology, it, it just blew up, right? It was yeah. so fast. And for those that grew up in that generation, we were able to onboard in that experience. But for those that weren't, it took them years because the the education, the platform to teach them how to work with these new devices weren't there. And I think that it's our responsibility to be those voices and to start sharing this knowledge because we do the world a disservice by not sharing what we know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. And I think I think the problem with all of this is that people have devalued, as at least in Western places, devalued the power of nature compared to Western medicine. You know, like you said, that we wouldn't think twice about mm. uh, thinking, you know, the person that I'm going for an open heart surgery, surgery, they are qualified for that. But when it comes to plants, it's like, well, they're not that strong anyway. So it doesn't matter who I go to and what sort of practice I'm engaging in because it will never be as strong and potent as Western medicine. So education is absolutely necessary in that sense. For example, I had no idea that the sort of process of engaging with master plants was so intense until today. So, and I'm not even engaging with them. So for someone who is choosing to do that and they don't know the sort of commitment you need for that, it can be life-threatening. But yeah, education is super, super important. Just talking about the sort of care and reciprocity, as I mentioned before, that we need to have when we are taking plant medicines and having that relationship with plants, I think is a highly emotional and spiritual process right? Getting that permission from the land, from the frog kin, from plants. And I think that in itself requires a lot of trauma work or shadow work um, because it is about rebuilding relationships or rediscovering them and revaluing them. And a lot of work within trauma and healing is doing just that. So have you tried to incorporate healing work and trauma work into... Mm the sort of work that you do right now, whether it's in rain, the Rainforest Healing Center or just in you know you advocating for plant medicine. is Because I just think that this, uh, that's so important and we often remove that element, that emotional element and the spiritual and the healing element to these things, right? Because we are humans in the end. We have our shadows and our traumas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thank you for asking because it is important. And I just recently started incorporating that from my teachers and what I have learned. Usually when I do my intention settings with my clients, I ask a lot of questions and I and I help them navigate their shadows. And in the process, I support them into starting to become more aware into those pieces of them that are lacking mm. or missing or that are in their face that they don't see. Uh, two weeks ago, I served Campbell to uh, my sister-in-law's friend, and he said something very key. And he said that it's better for a person to come up with their own realizations versus us giving them to them. Mm -hmm. So when 
do my intention setting with my clients, I'm always intending to not only come down to the root of what is it that they want to be free of, but also helping them have moments of ahas in that experience where they're like, oh my God, I see my pattern. Oh my God, I see my cycle. Oh my God, now I understand why I do the things that I do. So yeah. then they have that that wholeness at that moment of seeing what my psychologist tells me our pain cycle, because we all have a pain cycle. And once the pain cycle gets triggered, we go into it, right? So something happens, then we feel a certain way, and then we act a certain way. And then the way we act is reinforce the cycle. And then we just get stuck like yeah. a wheel in a, like a hamster in a hamster wheel. So that's one. And then the, the recent one that I just added to my ayahuasca retreats is two of them that are extremely powerful. Um, and one is teaching people about the six human needs. Have you heard of the six human needs? Are you familiar with them? I might be, but I haven't heard it being conceptualized as, as that. But okay. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is, these are two from Tony Robbins. Uh, he's one of my teachers and they're extremely, extremely powerful. These two teachings, one is the six human needs and every human on the planet has these human needs. Every single human, I don't care who you are. I don't know how much money you make. Where do you leave? If you have any sort of problems, we all have them. And the needs are, the first need is the need of certainty. We all have that need yeah. of like knowing what we're going to eat, where we're going to go, right? Pe most people, there's people that have that need higher up than others, but we all need that. The second one is the need of the need of uncertainty, right? We also need variety, right? Like no one wants to do the same thing over and over again, right? Eventually we kind of like get tired of that or eating the same thing or wearing the same clothes. Like we need kind of like change it. Some people have it higher. Other people have it lower. The third need is the need of significance. We all need to feel important, different, unique, like we matter. Then you got love and connection. So that's the fourth need, right? We need to be connected, have a community, feel love, even if it's one person. If you are an introvert and you're telling me, I don't need that, I will say, you definitely have one friend that is the one that you call all the time and is the one person that you feel comfortable with. And that's the moment that you have love yeah. and connection. And I know that because I'm an introvert. So <laughs> you all need that, right? From your pet, from your cat, I mean, whatever. So those are like the, they call it like mundane needs. And then you have what they call the spiritual needs. So we have the need of growth and we also have the need of contribution at some point in our life. What happens with needs is that you will jeopardize your beliefs and your values to meet your needs. And that's the part that is scary. Mm -hmm. Why? Let's say I have a huge need for certainty, super, super high up. And I also believe that lying is toxic. And I say, I will never lie. I'm the most truthful person that that is a line itself, but whatever. Uh, and I don't say any like that. And let's say in a moment in my relationship with my partner, my certainty is threatened by a truth. So because my certainty is threatened by a truth, I will most likely lie 
to meet my certainty. Yeah. So a lot of us don't understand these concepts because they were never taught to us. But when we start realizing what are our top needs, because we have different top needs, like for me, for a long time, my top needs were uh, certainty and significance, right? And and those are like the top needs of most of the world. They need to be certain and then they need to feel significant. And yeah. that's extremely toxic if you think about it, because it's all about the eye and there's things yeah. out there, right? Um, there is people that before they can actually feel love, they need to feel certain. So there are people that have certainty and love. So also the order of your needs is very different, yeah. right? Like for example, yeah. um, my my partner, he found out a few months ago or last year that one of his top needs was uncertainty. And he had no idea that that was one of his top needs. And he had like a little, tiny little like life crisis at that moment. And he started noticing how he actually sabotaged his life to meet uncertainty, right? How he like actually didn't uh, go after jobs that will bring certainty in his life. Exactly. So, you know, so that's one of the things that I do with my clients is I explain to them what are the different needs. We go into a process where they start identifying how they fulfill every single of the needs from like a healthy and an unhealthy place. And then after that, we identify what are their top needs. And after identifying their top needs, then we have them choose new needs for so that it fits their purpose. Yeah. So that's one of them. And I usually I do that one on the seven day retreat because it's a long process. And then on our 11 day retreat, um, I do something that is uh, values. So it's for people to rewrite their values. This is one of the most powerful processes that I have done in the transformational work. And it's all about identifying what are your top values, your Taurus values and your away values. And when you identify those, then you understand how you have been operating in your life. And then after we come out with those, then we do a meditation that will get you tap into your destiny. So what is it that you want to create? And then based on your destiny, then we rewrite your values. So then your values meet your destiny. So then you can actually start leaving from that place. So those are like the two uh, most common exercises that I do with my clients to help them kind of work into their traumas and their beliefs and all of that. I really, really loved how you um, conceptualized the needs that we have that was really eye-opening and I think that maybe I should after this episode at least actually sit down and think yeah what are the needs I tend to prioritize and how has that shaped my journey so far Mm -hmm. and you start thinking are those actually needs or are they wants right because there's difference right between what you really want at this particular moment or series of moments and what you actually need and just to like you said rewriting that is is essential absolutely and and again like I said when you identify what are your top needs and then you look at your life then you need to ask yourself the question do me having those needs right now on the top are actually helping me 
in the direction that I want to go, mm-hmm. right? That's another thing that I tell my clients. There is no such a thing as right or wrong answers. Yeah. Um, it's just an answer. And if the answer is yes, then then why do you want to change it? And then connecting to the emotional aspect of that why. And then from that place, then choose to make a change. And then this is where integration is so important. And is when we make those drastic change in our life, is this is and this is why people sometimes rather do Western medicine that the medicine that we're talking about is we want like this kind of effect instant results right? yeah we want instant results and this is why not everybody in the world has a fit body right because mm. these are things that take time and if you don't understand that it doesn't matter how much plant medicine you make it doesn't matter how many things do you do? How much meditation do you sit with? You're not going to grow and progress if we don't notice that the change is two millimeters. That's all it takes is two millimeters. I was talking to my coach. I have I have a personal coach. And one time I had like a like a anger episode, right? Because I'm also in my healing journey. And I wanted to smash the computers and I wanted to break everything and just scream and punch the wall. And anyways, I didn't do any of that, (laughs) (laughs) but I internalized it. Yeah. And then I talked to her and I felt so guilty that I couldn't shift my state just with like that. I was so upset. And then he gave me, she gave me an incredible perspective. And she asked Jimena, if you were to experience the same thing that you experience right now, three years ago, would you react the same way? And I said, no. She said, how long it took you to shift your mind? And I said, it took me a couple of hours. And she said, how long would it take you six years ago to shift? And I was like, it wouldn't have taken me weeks. And she said, this is what we miss, is we don't measure. And we don't notice where we are to where we were and we forget that we had a journey to get where we are today and everything that we had to do and we take that for granted yeah and then that's when we punish ourselves that's when we think that we're not good enough um that's when we go into a spiral but if we really sit down and think where we are from where we were and we can actually see that incremental growth it will blow our minds and we will realize that we actually have done more than we thought that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I've started to incorporate um, whenever I am feeling low and I feel like, you know, I'm not enough. Mm. Realizing that, I don't know, 15 year old me or even 18 or 22 year old me would be so proud just oh, yeah. knowing what I'm doing now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't we don't appreciate ourselves enough. No. And then that is reflected in our relationships and how, you know, we connect to other people. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Himana, for this conversation. It's, it really, truly felt like medicine. I definitely, definitely needed it. And I know that the audience is going to absolutely love this episode. Yeah. It's just amazing hearing about your experience working with plants and, and the amazing plant wisdom that you are sharing with others, including sharing it on this space. I am very honored 
for you to join this space. And something I mentioned to my guests, you are always welcome on this space to come back and um, maybe explore something further that we didn't get time to explore in this episode because obviously episodes are only about an hour long and there's a limited amount on what you can obviously explore but it was really really amazing having you here truly truly needed thank you so much thank you so much Agrita I mean it was such a pleasure pleasure and and you're such a grounded calm serene (laughs) soul so it's so nice to be in the space with you and and just have a, a a truthful and a pure and honest conversation about this topic. I think that we need to do more of these, um, not just us, but just in general. And, and I think for any healer, any person that works in the space, I would like to invite them to come out and, and share their experiences um, and to not be afraid to be challenged um, in that process. I think that as healers, it's very important when other people come to us and ask us questions and challenges um, and, and pushes our boundaries, because again, this market is not going away. Yeah, It really is. And I don't think there is a stopping it. I think that it's just going to grow. It's going to expand. I wouldn't be surprised if pharmaceuticals eventually want to find a way to you know, put all of this into a pill. Uh, I think that that's, that's a long bridge to cross. But I mean, they tried to do it with Canva mm. and, and they're going to try to do it with other things too. So they can gain control over it like they did with um, with Mary J. Right here in the States. If you look for marijuana here, it's all legal and it's all uh, mixed with like weird stuff. And it's not the original yeah. thing. Um, mm-hmm. And they did it so they could have control of it. So thank you so much for giving me the time to share my experience, communicate my truth and what I've been taught. And I would love to have you on my podcast once it's ready to go and and to continue collaborating together. Yes, absolutely. Super, super excited for that. And I'll definitely let the audience know on my socials when that is ready and when that launches. Yeah. And another news that I have is um, the center is going through a rebranding. So mm-hmm. within the next couple of weeks, uh, the name will be changing from Rainforest Healing Center to Shaman Flora. Oh, so wow. Okay. Excited. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited. We have a new logo. We have a new name. Uh, things are starting to shift, to change. Uh, so I'm super, 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 super excited to share that with everybody. Yes. The rebrand will definitely be advertised on Mindful of Everything's website and social media. So yeah, just let us know. Yeah, I'm I'm sending a newsletter in the next two weeks for everybody to see the new logo and the name. It's just magical. It's it's so perfect. It's been a long year of working on it. Amazing, amazing. Cannot wait for that. Thank you for listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and previous episodes, subscribe to and rate the podcast on any podcast platform and connect to the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. To connect to Jimena, visit mindfuloveverything.com where you can find Jimena's social media handles as well as all other episode resources.